Welcome to Rimrock Church, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well, enjoying uh, this uh, awesome taste of summer that we have this weekend. We, uh, we do want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, welcome to Rimrock. Uh, if you are a regular attender here, likewise, welcome to Rimrock. We are glad you are here joining us this morning. We are continuing on this morning with our summer uh, series called Grace Unleashed. All right. A lot of questions that, uh, that we have over time, we're trying to compact into a variety of different messages, i.e., what is grace? All right, Bill kicked us off a few weeks ago with an introduction to the study and, and really defining what is grace, God's unmerited favor to each and every one of us. All right, then Bill led us up with grace for salvation. All right, you know, what did we earn? What did we do to earn salvation? We did nothing. All right. And last week, Bill followed up with uh, grace in everyday living, just living out God's awesome, unmerited favor on each and every one of us as we interact throughout our day with people in our community, other believers, etc. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the law. All right. And, and we think about the law and we think, well, how does that relate to grace? All right. Many people think the law is diametrically opposed to grace. I think we're going to look at the law today, guys, in a little bit of a different light. All right, we're going to lay some foundation on what is the law, and we're going to continue on and talk through law under the gamut of God's unmerited favor for each of us right where we are. All right, so we're going to talk about the purpose of the law, and we're going to talk about that the fact that the law is good under that gamut of grace, of God's awesome grace. We think about these topics, they are all interconnected, okay? Every single one of these topics that we're going to be walking through this summer, they may seem like they're separate, independent topics, but they are all so interconnected, all right? But before we kick off too much further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we just thank you for your awesome love for us right where we are today. If we're celebrating the mountaintops right now, Father God, you're praising. If we're celebrating the depths at the moment, Father God, you are still so good. May we know full well, Father God, that you are meeting us right where we are. We thank you for that. In your son's precious name, amen. As we take a look at the law, guys, we think about it came from the time that, that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That's where it started. Prior to that, there really was no law, all right? On Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and then through time, there were a number of other commands that were added to those ten. Many commentators believe there's about 603 other laws that really governed behavior. You know, it was God's perspective of how people should live their lives, all right? So, so those, the scope of the law was broadened from the ten, it was broadened and expanded throughout the other laws of the Old Testament, primarily found in the books of Leviticus, in the books of Deuteronomy. All right? A little bit of numbers, some in the book of Exodus, but primarily in the two books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The law also includes what I'll call religious customs, things that we have designed to do really within the gamut of the religious environment Things that we do that believe we will make us more acceptable to our Heavenly Father. So we'll call those religious customs. All right? We also have different self-imposed rules of performance that we put on ourselves that we believe, again, that will make us more acceptable to our Heavenly Father. 
So really four areas came from the Ten Commandments. It was broadened throughout the Old Testament with other standards. It was self-imposed rules of regulation, and it was also religious customs. Throughout the Old Testament, those laws, those laws set the standard of what people believed they needed to do to be right with God. The things that they needed to perform or not do to be right with God. All right. As we look at now also in today's day and age, in the New Testament, there's a variety of teachings in the New Testament that, that, that people have put weights on their own shoulders thinking that they need to do, or again not do, to be right in their minds with their Heavenly Father. I just want to encourage us today, we have the opportunity to live in what's called the new covenant of God's awesome grace. The law requires performance. The law requires meeting a certain standard for us to believe that we're accepted or acceptable by God. This new covenant of grace is what Jesus ushered in by his death on the cross. And what this new covenant gives us, it is a gift and it's a promise from our Heavenly Father, from God, that he has forgiven all sins. All of our past, all of our present, the, the sins that we commit right now, and the sins that we're going to commit this afternoon. The new covenant that Jesus ushered in ushered in that forgiveness. We can bask in that truth, that our sins are forgiven. And guess what? The new covenant also tells us that we have been restored into fellowship with our Heavenly Father. The veil that separated in the, the God from the other people in the Holy Temple was torn on Jesus' death. Right? It was torn from top to bottom. That veil separated God from man. On Jesus' death, the ushering in of the new covenant, that veil was removed. And God has given us, if you've placed your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, he has given us his Holy Spirit. He now resides in us. We are that temple. If you've placed your faith in him. So Jesus ushered in that new covenant of awesome, amazing grace. We have the freedom that comes by living under the new covenant. God doesn't keep us on a treadmill of what I call performance. The things that we need to continue to do for him to accept us. Because of what Christ did, we are accepted. Right as we are. We are completely loved. We have been made holy. We have been made righteous. And I hope as a church that we live in the truth of that new covenant. I hope we don't live under the weight of performance-based acceptance. At Rimrock Church, we talk a lot about grace. We talk a lot about grace for salvation and grace for living. In fact, one of our core values, if, you, if you're so inclined to look at our core values, all right, it's, 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 in, the, it's in the website, who knows the core values of Rimrock Church? Anyone that's test here? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not putting performance on. Uh, I don't remember them all either, but I do have one written down. How's that sound? 
One of our core values is grace. At Rimrock Church, we focus on God's unconditional love towards ourselves and others by standing on God's forgiveness, His acceptance, and God's power. We reject legalism and will not motivate by guilt, shame, or manipulation. That's one of our core values here at Rimrock Church. I hope you feel that, though. I hope it's more than just black ink on white paper sitting in, a, in, a, in an old, dusty handbook over in the office. I hope it is how we live out our lives as new creations every day, as we interact here on Sunday mornings, as we interact in small groups, as we interact over a barbecue. I hope we live out this truth of God's awesome grace moment by moment in our life. But as we take a look at the law, as we take a look at God's vision, there are a variety of purposes of the law. All right? First and foremost, the law was put in place to reveal sin. All right? Had there been no law, how would you know what sin is? Paul, in the, uh, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul, was an individual who lived his, the majority of his adult life under the law. And Paul was good at it. Paul was, well, I'll call a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul knew the law. And what I mean by that, Paul could recite the law from start to finish by memory. And Paul lived his life under the law. And in many respects, was quite good at it. Jesus found Paul on the road to Damascus and he revealed his truth of the new covenant to Paul. And Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, says, so where then lies the point of the law? What's the purpose of the law? He asks the question, then he answers it. It was an addition made to underline the existence and the extent of sin until the arrival of the seed to whom the promise referred. Prior to this, in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Paul was strongly encouraging the Galatian believers that, boy, you all got started believing by faith. Okay? What happened to you? You're now resorting to the law. You're resorting to believing that to be made right with God, you have to follow a certain set of regimented standards. Who got to you? He's calling them fools. He's calling them idiots in, in different translations. Who got to you? And he's asking them, what is the purpose of the law? And he's answering his own question. He says, the purpose of the law is to reveal what is sin. And it was a temporary measure, as it says in here. It was in place until the arrival of the seed. The seed is Jesus. The seed is in singular form. The seed, as he says later in, in, in this chapter, is Jesus. The law was in place to reveal the extent and the existence of sin until Jesus came. Okay, So it reveals sin. It was a temporary purpose designed by God to turn people from their ways and to reveal to them his standards. All right? And you think about it, guys, in our today's day and age. As we came up today to church, I assume most of us took Highway 44, right? 
the major road that goes east and west here. And, uh, and just go along with me for a second, but uh, assuming there was no speed limit on Highway 44. All right, no, who says that? Dan? All right, there's no speed li- limit. It's kind of like that road in Germany. There, I will get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. So if you drove 80 miles an hour on Highway 44 in the straightaways and the curves, if there was no speed limit, would you be considered a speeder? No, no. If there was no speed limit, guys, you would not be considered a speeder if you're going 80. But guess what, Dan? There is a speed limit on Highway 44. It is 50 miles per hour. Even in the straightaways. All right? Did someone say no? (laughs) I promise you, there is a speed limit on Highway 44. If you go greater than 50, if you go 55, if you go 70, guess what? You are a speeder. That law set the standard. The law of the state of South Dakota, the law of Pennington County, set the standard on Highway 44 that it is 50 miles per hour. You're guilty of speeding, whether or not you're picked up or not, just so we're clear, all right? It doesn't matter if the local uh, Pennington County Sheriff's officer picks you up or not, you're still guilty of speeding, all right? That was the purpose of the law. It reveals what is sin. The law also was laid out by, by Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 7, where he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Had there been no teaching in that regard, you could desire your neighbor's ski boat all day long and not be guilty of coveting. But the law set the standard that said, guess what? It's not best for you to covet. Because it, 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 it prepares in your heart things that you think that you need to be made happy apart from heaven, apart from our Heavenly Father. So God laid out His standard in Romans 7, 7 regarding coveting. It reveals what is sin, guys. Without it, we would know what sin was. So it has that purpose. It reveals sin. It's like an x-ray. It can reveal that bone that's broken, or that organ that's not working, but that x-ray can do nothing to mend it. The law can reveal sin, but it does nothing, nothing to help. Okay? The law also has another purpose. It leads us to Christ. It leads us to Jesus. Galatians 3, beginning with verse 23, in the same chapter, Paul's continuing his teaching when he says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And this word tutor... Guys, we may, we may perceive what it is. It's, it, it's somebody that, that helps a student that's not having uh, real great success in school. All right? But this word, when we look back at the original Greek text, is the word called pedagogos. Pedagogos was a, was, 
sometimes hired by the government, sometimes hired by the family. But the Pedagogos was a hired servant, one that was trusted with the purpose of educating children. The Pedagogos would do whatever was necessary to get the point across to the child on the value of their education. All right? They would, with some kids who learn quickly, Pedagogos' job was pretty simple. For others who took a long time to learn, the Pedagogos wasn't uh, averse to using some strong discipline to get the point across. But the purpose of the Pedagogos was to lead the child in their education. The purpose of the law is to lead us to Christ, to realize that in our own strength, we can't. The purpose of the law is to lead us to our heavenly Savior who can. All right? Once we get to the point in time in realizing in our life that we cannot meet the needs of the law, the law has done its job. God's standards as it relates to the law is absolute, utter perfection. Who can meet that? Who can meet that in their own strength? Nobody. That's the standard of the law. But guess what, guys? We don't live under that standard. We live under the standard of God's unmerited favor for us. He has taken us off that treadmill of having to perform to get God's acceptance. Sometimes people don't like that. You know, if you're on a treadmill of performance, you understand how well you believe you're doing. But guess what? God's standards are so much higher than that. He laid out some of his standards also through Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching on what's called the Sermon on the Mount lays out a fair amount of the law in the New Testament. This is a sermon that he preached at the beginning of his public ministry. He had just come out of the desert for 40 days. He went up on the side hill and began to teach primarily his disciples, but many other people in that area. And he think about the people in the crowd that he was teaching to. Many of these people had grown up with a mindset, probably all of them, had grown up with a mindset that it was about what you did in your life, how well you performed to gain God's favor. They were on that treadmill of performance trying to keep up. They were on that treadmill of trying to gain God's love and his acceptance by what they did. So what does Jesus do? He lays down some additional heavy law on them with this purpose to get them to realize, I can't. To get them to realize that apart from faith, I can't perform to this level. Jesus talks about murder in the sermon. And he says, not only are you guilty of murder, but you're hopelessly guilty if you've been angry with your brother. So it's not just a killing, it's a thought process also. If you've been angry with your brother, you're also guilty of murder. Not only are you guilty if you commit adultery, you're condemned if you've ever daydreamed about committing adultery. <laughs> That's a heck of a standard. You see what he's doing here? 
He's laying the law on people to get them to realize, I can't do that. I can't live up to that standard. And it drives them to the point where they realize they need a Savior. Jesus takes things in the Sermon on the Mount and he takes them from overt actions, things that people do, and he adds on to that by things that happen in your thought life. Things that come into your mind are a violation of that standard. And take this, guys. I am not sitting here today saying, guess what? You've got to keep up with this standard. I'm saying we need to realize we can't keep up with that standard. We need a Savior. Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, as it relates to my Highway 44 example, you're guilty of speeding if you've driven 80 on Highway 44, and you're guilty of speeding if you ever have thought about driving 80 on Highway 44. How's that sound? You know? If any of you have ever been behind that driver going 20? Anyone in this room, that driver? All right. And you fly by them in that straightaway where you hope the policeman isn't sitting around the corner? Guess what? You're guilty of speeding. Or if you've even thought about it, according to this standard. But we live under the standard of God's unmerited favor. Jesus, through that teaching, also comes to chapter 11 in Matthew. All right? And what he does in chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, I think it's going to pop up on the screens here. Jesus invites us in. He has laid a foundation of our need for him. He has laid that foundation where we hope that we realize that we need him. Because that realization is the first step before you have that desire to make that change. Now he's inviting us in. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How many times have you read that passage in your life? I hope we let that passage sink in. Jesus invites us, come to me. Lay down the heavy weights that you're carrying. Those things that are weighing you down. Lay them at my feet. Take on what I have for you. Because guess what? What I have for you is easy. And it's light. And you'll find rest for your souls. It's a bit of a different perspective that Jesus brings in this invitation than what many people believe Jesus requires in the Christian faith. So many people believe that the Christian faith is about just being on this treadmill of trying to get God's acceptance and trying to make him love us. No. It's not what Jesus brought to the equation. Jesus satisfied that. Jesus took that performance that was necessary to fulfill the law. And he took care of it on the cross for you and for me. And because of that, he can invite us in and say, guess what? 
what I have for you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that truth? I hope so. As we take on his yoke and we learn from him, he offers us rest. He offers us resting in him. And as we recognize that he is sufficient, we can rest. We can step off that treadmill of trying to please God by performance. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are completely pleasing. God is pleased with you. Do you feel that? Do you recognize that truth? That God is pleased with you right where you sit today? He is because of what Jesus did. So many times if I say that word God's pleased with you, the first thing that pops into our mind is, eh, yeah, you don't know what I did. No, I don't. You're exactly right. But I do recognize what Jesus did on the cross. I recognize what he did was all sufficient to cover what you did and what we all did because we've all fallen short. Because of that sacrifice, we are accepted right as we are. Because of that sacrifice, we can live life secure in his unmerited favor no matter what. We can't lose that. We can't lose that grace. And as we step off that treadmill of performance, we can see the next aspect of the law, okay? And that is this. The law is good because God is good. The law is holy and righteous because God is holy and righteous. There's a dramatic difference between living under the law, trying to gain God's acceptance by what we do, and living in obedience to the law that is good. Because the law is given by a good, good father. Tom sang that song and the team sang that song. I hope the truth of those words sink deep. God is a good, good father. And the law that he gives sets out what he desires for you in your life. He has equipped you, if you've placed your faith in him, with the Holy Spirit to live out that law. It's not about us doing it. it is, it's about us submitting and being dependent upon our Heavenly Father. Laying out the truth is God's way of showing us, I believe in many respects, how the Holy Spirit's working. How the Holy Spirit's working in your life. So many times we wonder, how is the Holy Spirit working in my life? I encourage you, look to His Word. Look to God's Word. He will never, I promise you this, never do something that contradicts His Word. The Holy Spirit will not lead you in a direction that is contrary to God's Word and His plan and purpose for you. I promise you that. God can take us out from underneath the law. He can take us out from underneath living under the law because he has placed in our hearts, he has given us a new heart, he has placed in that heart the desire and the ability through the Holy Spirit to obey him. 
to obey him in our heart and mind. So as a result, we can live in obedience to that law, knowing you are unconditionally accepted, knowing that what Christ did on the cross for you paid the price, and because of God's grace for salvation and living, and because of his overriding love for you, we can live in obedience to his plan and purpose for us. There's a dramatic difference between that and living under the law, trying to gain his acceptance. As we live in obedience to the law, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We allow the Holy Spirit to work in line with his purpose, God's purpose. The Holy Spirit will always bring glory to the Heavenly Father. And what he's doing in your life, when you are dependent upon him, when you are obedient to him, brings glory. Brings glory to our Heavenly Father. We think about the Holy Spirit's working. Again, we can look to God's word to see what that may look like. James 1.19. James, what an awesome book of teaching in the New Testament. Tells us that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So many times when I've read that passage, I'm thinking, you know, in my, in my ability, I can do that for a short, short window. Short window. But then guess what? Something pops up. Something happens that wasn't exactly in line with what I hoped it would be, and now I'm, I'm slow to hear, and I'm quick to speak and quick to be angry. In my flesh, that's where it goes. And if I'm trying to meet that standard in my own flesh, that's what's going to happen too. The law is going to excite in my flesh at many times to do something quite different. But the Holy Spirit working through my life as I'm obedient to Him and submitted to Him is quick to hear. He is slow to speak and He is slow to anger, equipping me in those ways that bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25 is for us. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? Husbands, we're called to love our wives. In your flesh, in your own abilities, how's that looking? At times it could look good, okay? I'll give you that for short windows. But I tell you this, I am not able to love Wendy as Christ loved the church. I can't meet that standard. But as the Holy Spirit is working in my life, I can live that out. I can love her with the words I speak, with the Holy Spirit animating and empowering me. I can love her through how I listen to her when the Holy Spirit is working in my life and I'm submitted to that Holy Spirit. Apart from that, guys, these standards that we have out there are virtually impossible to meet. We can't do that. But what's amazing, we were never called to do that. 
We were called to be obedient. And we were called to be dependent upon God's working in our life. And his word lays that out so clearly. It is no longer I that live. In Galatians 2, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. The life I now live, I live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's how we live out these teachings that God has for each and every one of us. That's how we live in obedience to God's word. I hope we recognize that. I hope we recognize that it's not about our performance. Because there's going to be times when my flesh still raises its ugly head and your flesh raises its ugly head and you miss the mark, which is a kind word for sin. I hope we as a church recognize that every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us has missed the mark at times in life. I hope you as an individual recognize the amazing freedom of forgiveness, of recognizing what Christ did for you on the cross. Recognize that he paid the price for your sins. And I hope that recognition, that thankfulness brings us to repentance very quickly as it relates to those times when we've missed the mark or when others have missed the mark. Likewise, I hope we are quick to forgive. I hope we have clothed ourselves in that forgiveness that we also have received as others have missed the mark and and maybe at times when they've missed that mark, it's, it's impacted us in some way, shape, or fashion. I hope, likewise, we are quick to forgive others. Tom, you want to come back up? God doesn't need your performance. He doesn't want your performance. He desires instead that we recognize the fact that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient. That performance that was taken care of over 2,000 years ago paid that price. I believe today what God is asking us for is to rest in Him. We go back to Jesus' invitation, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, and what does He say? Rest. Come to me. Lay down your burdens and rest in me. Today we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. There are stations throughout the room here. And I hope as we prepare for that, we recognize what Jesus did for us. We recognize the fact that the price that he paid for each and every one of us is complete. It's 100%. It's done. Okay? Jesus, in his final words with his disciples as he was celebrating this Lord's Supper told them after they had had eaten said and when he had taken some bread and given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this do this in remembrance of me 
Okay? He goes on and he says, in the same way he took the cup and after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you, get this, guys, is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that we talked about earlier. The recognition that what Christ did for you is what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we come together as a body to celebrate that. And we do it as we remember what he's done for us. And I want to encourage you today, remember what he's done for you. So many times we think, yeah, Christ died for everybody. He did. You're right. But guess what? He died for you. He died for you to forgive your sin. He died for you to give you his body that was poured out, that was broken. He did that for you. And he's encouraging us, when you partake in this, do it as you remember me. Okay? Maybe today, guys, there's some garbage in your life, there's some challenges that are going on, and you realize today, maybe for the first time, that what Jesus did was for you, because it was. He's encouraging us, come, remember what I did. Remember my love for you. I encourage you as Tom plays, take a moment to reflect on what he's done for you. Take a moment to recognize all that he is. And maybe that's something brand new today. If that is, great. I invite you to enjoy this time together in remembrance. Maybe he made that change in your life over 50 years ago. I celebrate that also. That's awesome. Remember what he did for you. As you come up, take the bread, take the wine. As you celebrate that remembrance, go as you are feel led. If you want to take a pause now or if you want to come right back up, that's fine too. But after you're done, you're dismissed. I hope you have a tremendous rest of your weekend. Enjoy him, recognizing that he has you right where he wants you right now. Allow him to work in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for you. We thank you for your word that it lays out for us the working of your Holy Spirit in our life. May we recognize that working. May we have hearts that simply desire what you have put in there. That's a desire to be obedient to you. Thank you, Father, for your love. May we bask in your grace today. Amen.